Before you fire up the coffee maker, turn on the morning jam. Need to find a place. Get home with your friends. Give them things so Celine Dion and a song called A Mother's Prayer. And whenever I think of our next guest, this is a song that uh, that I think of. It immediately comes to mind. This morning, we are welcoming author Marcy Jones, who is the author of Shattering. Good morning, Marcy. Good morning. How are you this morning? Doing very well. And uh, we're Good. so glad that you joined us uh, this morning. There was a lot of mother's prayers going up uh, and still are uh, in your life, isn't there? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the book is called Shattering. I was honored to be able to do the audio version of that book for you. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the the descriptors in, in your book says that it's written from a mother's heart. Marcy doesn't sugarcoat the effects of drug abuse and mental illness tackling it head-on, the shame, seclusion that accompanies the life-changing diagnosis infused with grace and mercy, shattering offers hope to those who face challenges that seem insurmountable. Yeah, yeah. Well, Um, that's... uh, I didn't sugarcoat it. No, I I know you didn't because I read the the book cover to cover. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it is a painful book, but there is a lot of hope in that book. Let's start uh, at the beginning. Let's start telling the story of of Hunter and uh, and and when Hunter first came into the world, beautiful baby boy. Yes, he was. He was our second son. Um, he 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 was my bald headed baby. He's redhead and you know what? Redheads don't always have a lot of hair. Well, not he when didn't. they're born, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But he was um he was very smart. He still is extremely smart. Uh he was a very good student. He was a kind child. He uh was vice president of the CA in high school. He was captain of the wrestling team. He um had a you know, very high GPA. He went to the governor's school. Mm. He went on, you know, what we thought was a normal, typical team. Mm-hmm. Um, went to Virginia Tech and seemed to do well until after his sophomore year. And um, then things got a little iffy, you know. And and when your children go away to college, you don't see them as often. So sure. you're going, well, maybe maybe this is typical. Maybe this is this is where he is now in his life. Um, Marcy, let me ask you this. Um, first of all, I think it's important to say that many times people who deal with mental illnesses are very brilliant people, almost exceedingly brilliant in some ways, not always, Mm -hmm. but, but many times now, what did you see? So when he was little, you saw no red flags at all. None. None. We we were one of the families where we did not. Okay. And in the last several years, I have come in contact with more than a few families whose teenage children, mainly boys, have already shown the signs with bipolar or schizophrenia. But we were very blessed to have a 
what I consider a normal, if teens are normal. Up to, up to college. Right, right. 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 So and this can happen, this, this can happen at any, any stage in life. So it can. So it was more difficult because you were not there to see him day to day because many of the red flags are red flags that um, you see how their behavior changes drastically. Like there's, right. for example, their sleep patterns. You have no way of knowing what his sleep patterns are. He doesn't live at home anymore. Um, right. So what was the first clue that something was wrong? Honestly, it was one of the biggest clues when we look in retrospect was the fact that he couldn't finish college. Okay. You know, he went there five years. And he didn't. But again, that's not unusual. Some it, some people are overwhelmed by college, right? Right, right. And and, and he worked during college. Um, he actually took care of a man who had Alzheimer's. Okay. Um, but he he had a lot going. So, like I said, in retrospect, we're looking back and going, yeah, that was probably a good clue. And then because he did he well said, in high school, and then he his grades and things suffered, his concentration suffered when he got into college. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, so he was five years at at tech. Mm-hmm. He did not graduate. No. Okay. No. And, He's got and a lot of credits, though. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll bet he does. Uh, so yep. that that frust that was frustrating. I'm sure, as a parent. It was. It was disappointing. And I think for him, it was sure because he, he he's one who who was a finisher. Um, you know, we have people who start things and finish, and people who start things and don't. And he was one who started things and finished. And this is something he did not finish. So for him, and he eventually, you know, said, "Hey, I'm I'm going to Oregon. I'm going to Hawaii." And so when you talk about when we really first knew something was wrong was when we got that call from Hawaii that said that he had had a psychotic break and that he was in the hospital there. And that was a, that was a shock because, like I said, we, we weren't around. We didn't see a lot of these signals mm-hmm. that something was going on that was totally off the spectrum. So he's in he's in Hawaii. What is he doing in Hawaii? He is our organic farmer. He was then. He is now. He's also a computer person. Loves anything to do with computers. He can fix them. He can tell you what's going on with them. Um, but he moved to Hawaii. He came in contact with a really uh, great guy named Dr. Charlie Brown, who has an organic uh, coffee farm out there. And okay. Hunter worked with him. And he also worked in keeping bees. And so he was out there, and he enjoyed it. He'd call us every once in a while. Um, but at that point in time, it was quite expensive to do you know, long-distance right, calls. Right, right. We didn't hear from him often, but we did hear from him. And when we heard from him, he sounded great. He was loving life. Uh-huh. He was. Now, you talk about in your book um, about the drug abuse. When did the drug abuse start? I'm going to say college okay um i truly and we've talked about it and it doesn't sound like from what he said and actually we just had a recent conversation about this past week with um drug use and drug abuse and um what he was doing and he said his primary drug of choice was marijuana he liked experimenting with evidently different varieties Mm -hmm. what you know what one plant's doing what's another 
Um, and that that seemed to be the primary thing that he was choosing uh, to use. And, and, and as a parent, and especially now in, in Virginia, you know, we had our last governor approved marijuana. It's not illegal anymore. And as a parent, I, I sat down with my grown kids and I said, now listen, just because the government says it's not illegal anymore doesn't mean that you need to be participating in this, you know, because that right. does seem to be one of the things that when people are first starting to self-medicate, that they will go towards that and alcohol. Right. And see, his choice, because marijuana is, of course, I said, organic, you know, you yeah. throw it. Right. You don't put anything on it. Mm-hmm. But even as an adult, when you think of these minds that are so intelligent and so brilliant right. and can talk circles around you, I mean, he can he can still do that today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if one of the flags that you all mentioned, but this illogical thinking, almost magical thinking that, you know, no, this isn't going to happen. Um, th- this is this is where it's going to take me, and you don't understand. And, and that that's the kind of thinking... Irrational, that, yeah. Right, right. That that even to this day, on certain topics, we will see. So, and so, so what had he done to... in Hawaii that when they called you, what what exactly had happened? He, had, I'm not sure if he's ever seen a psychotic break, but basically, you're you can hear but you really can't hear. You can see, but you really can't see. And he had just had this, I, I'm not even, I don't even know if it's exactly what it was here, but the superhuman strength where he was doing, you know, very odd things, saying very odd things, and then when they would go to correct him, there there was no correction there. He had this, this superhuman strength where it took multiple people to even get him in a car, to get him in the hospital, to get him, you know, out of the car into wow. that hospital. Um, he thought specifically that he was flying with the bees, that he was helping them pollinate. He thought that the government could hear him through fillings in his teeth. Oh, my. Um, his whole voice just changed totally. I was able to talk to him after a couple of days, and it was this very high, thready voice. Hmm. And it, it was it was pitiful. I mean, just the sound and... You could just hear the pleading in the voice, and yet at the same time wanting to reassure that, no, he thought he was okay. Um, He would do things, even in in the hospital, he would be walking from one tile on the floor to the next tile on the floor. And if he had had something, it would go from one hand to the next hand, from one hand to the next hand. Mm. So even the total comprehension of where he was... or what he was doing was not there. He knew on one level, but on the other he didn't. Uh, wow. He did recognize they were trying to help him, but he didn't know exactly what was going on in the mind. He, the mind just wasn't right. Marcy, we have to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about you going to Hawaii, getting Hunter back to Virginia and uh, and then how things, just when you think they couldn't get any worse, they do. Uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. We are talking with author Marcy Jones. She has written the book called Shattering. It's a marvelous book. Uh, we'll continue our conversation with her coming up here on The Morning Jam. 
Before you fire up the coffee maker, turn on the morning jam. Good morning. You're listening to The Morning Jam. I'm Janet Rose on the line interviewing Marcy Jones. She is the author of Shattering. If you're just joining us, uh, Marcy has a very brilliant son. His name is Hunter. uh, And we're talking about mental illnesses, the signs to to look for this morning. Uh, Hunter was just your average child, brilliant child, uh, up until college. And uh, then he uh, kind of dropped out of college, ended up going to Hawaii and had a, a psychotic break there. Uh, where we are at this point in the story, Marcy, your son goes and and gets Hunter and brings him back to Virginia. Let's pick up the story there. Right. Michael is our oldest son, and he was living in Oregon at the time. And once I was in communication with the hospital, Kona Community Hospital in Hawaii, um, of course, we talked to our son and our daughter about what had happened, and after a couple of days, our oldest son called and had taken off work and said he was flying to Hawaii to get Hunter, because that was a huge problem. You know, even though he was an adult child, he can't be there by himself. He's had a total breakdown, and Mm -hmm. he's got to have help. So Michael went, and he slept on the floor of a friend's house in Hawaii, um, He was able to talk to Hunter, able to get the doctors to release him. He flew him to Portland. From Portland, got a haircut and clean clothes. And (laughs) then he put him on a plane to D.C. And our daughter and son-in-law picked him up in D.C. and took him to Charlottesville, which is where my husband and I picked him up. And he, he, gosh, it was terrible. We picked him up, and he just had this total haunted look in his eyes. And Mm. he was so thin. And at in Kona and talking to the uh, nurses, he was dehydrated. He was covered in bee stings. Um, he, he just looked terrible. It was that, Almost that, unrecognizable. Right. Um, and then looking back, we've got one picture of him, and I'm going, okay, I can still see that look in his eyes. That he, it was, what were we going to do? You know, the first thing was make it through that, that meal and then to get him home and to get help for him. Right. And so we did. We got him home and started looking for help. And at that point in time, um, help for mental illness was not easy. It's not, it just wasn't. And, and it's I still had, not easy. No, it, it's not. It, it is still a difficult thing when you call. And you, you call mental health services, you call somebody, and they're going, well, it'll be six weeks or eight weeks before we can get you into a psychiatrist. And you're going, but wait a minute, the hospital has only given him six days' worth of medicine, so then what do I do? Right. And so it is It is very hard. Um, I was blessed to have had a friend who actually is still in the Central Virginia area, Deborah Jefferson, and I was um, able to get him up to uh, talk with her. Unfortunately, when that happened... Um, I, I was in there talking, and he took off, and we had to call the police, and he ended up in another hospital. Um, we ended up, after that hospital stay, because it was what we called at that point another psychotic break, um, we took him to Richmond to stay with one of my brothers, uh, John Schumholzer, who started the McShin Foundation, which is a recovery foundation for drug abuse. 
and so he was going to stay with John, and we thought, okay, we're good, because John could get him in with a psychiatrist down there. Right. And um, unfortunately, within a few days, he had another psychotic break and was in the hospital again, and by now, we are at Thanksgiving, and the whole nightmare had started before Halloween. Turns out, according to the doctors there, that he didn't have three separate breaks, that the medicines they had given him had just basically kind of covered uh, what was going on, and it was just one psychotic break. Uh, they finally found a med that worked for him. We were finally able to get him home, and we were finally able to get him back into this Richmond doctor. I would take him there. and So you're driving doctor. from Appomattox to, to Richmond just yes. to see a yes. doctor. I, I am, and I am grateful to be able to have a doctor. And right. who can see him and talk to him. And, and have the means to drive there. A lot of people don't have right. that. Exactly. Exactly right. And and at that point, Hunter was willing to go. And that's the big thing when you're dealing with people that you love who have a mental illness who are going, no, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't need help. I'm not going in. Right, right. You might be able to take a child and put a child in the car, but that adult child, you cannot. Sure. So... For him to be able to willing, you know, to be willing to go, was a big such deal. A yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, it really was. So you had quite so, the roller coaster there for a while. We, we um, did, and it seemed like you were on the road to recovery. We were, and honestly, I would have said we were. Although, in the back of your mind, you're always waiting. When is this going to happen again? Right. Because you know we lived with him taking these powerful drugs and we saw what they did to him and you know we couldn't get help we couldn't get disability he didn't even qualify even though at that point he was shuffling he couldn't walk this young 27 year old it was terrible mm-hmm. um but eventually he did get better and he got well enough that um he was able to move in with his sister who had moved down here at that point um but then at one point as he was living with her the, she knocked on our door one morning very early, and the first words, bless her heart, she said, he's okay now. And he had had an episode where he had climbed out the bedroom window. He was in the upstairs room at her house and stayed out all night, and he had not a stitch of clothing on, and he stood in front of a large oak tree until the sun came up, and then something clicked in the mind, and he knocked on her window to get in. Wow. Um, we talked to him, and he, he felt like it was almost a nightmare. He he just couldn't believe that it happened, and he seemed okay. And we said, okay, let's, you know, just be very alert. And for a couple of days, he was fine. And then a few days later, I, I was on my way to work, and Bridget called and said, Mom, you need to come home. And he was having another psychotic break. At that break, um, I went to her house, which is really just down the hill and up the hill from my house. Sure. And I called my husband. I said, you need to come home. Um, Bridget had to be at work and you know, live in the country, and Internet is not great. It's so not. She had That's to right. Let, she had to let the people know she was not going to be at work, and I called the neighbor, and I got there, and Hunter was taking one shoe off and one shoe on, one shoe off and one shoe on. His eyes were totally glazed. Mm-hmm. Um, he, 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 you know, he felt like you he could hear, but he couldn't hear. And the next thing I know, he takes off down the hill. 
Um, so I thought, okay, maybe he's going to my house. I came to my house, and he wasn't there, but he showed up behind me, and we went into the house, and he held me prisoner in the house for uh, what, like an eternity. And he said, you know the deal, Mom. I, I have to kill you. God has told oh, me I have to kill you, and I have to kill me. The world is coming to an end. Uh, um, I, where's Dad's gun? You know, tell me where Daddy keeps his gun. Uh, could honestly say, you know, you know, they're in the gun cabinet. They're locked up, and these are these huge steel gun cabinets. And and, and aren't so, you thankful so, they were locked up? Uh, oh, I am. My husband's always been wonderful like that, and um, I didn't know where the keys were, and that was another thing. But this went on and on between, I have to kill you, I have to kill me, God is going to end the world until I do that, um, to let's pray. And then he would want to pray, wow. he would say the Lord's Prayer, and this went on and on, and I'm waiting for my husband to get here. Um, at one point, I got managed to get Hunter out of the house, and I was going, you know, trying to call 911, and he broke down, broke, well, he didn't break down, but he uh, rammed open the back door. Mm-hmm. Um and so then it made it worse because then he was angry with right. me. Marcy, and, we're, we're running out of, of, of time here. We've got to go to break. We've got a hard break. Um, okay. Uh, your book, Shattering, is an amazing story. Uh, I, I, I wish I could, I wish I had more time uh, to give you. I encourage people to go and, and read the book. It's amazing. It's available on Amazon. It's also available on Audible. Before you fire up the coffee maker, turn on the morning jam. The morning jam with Janet Rose. Before we went to break, we were having a conversation with author Marcy Jones. She has written a book called Shattering. And uh, we were talking about your son, Hunter, and how we had uh, gotten him home to Virginia. And you had had some ups and downs there for a while where you thought things were uh, on the road to recovery. And then you were called by your daughter. She said, you've got to come home. And you had the the worst episode that, that you had ever had on that day. Yes, we did. Um, and he ended up in a mental hospital again, this time in Augusta County, and we were able to see a wonderful doctor, and he he spent probably about 10 days there, and again, you know, we he was on meds, he was doing well. We do have family counseling there also. Before they let you bring your loved one home, you know, you and your family need to talk to the counselors also to to get a view of what's going on and and how to proceed. So he came home again, and he did well. And for several years, he progressed beautifully, well enough that he actually moved into his own place up the road from us. Okay, yeah. And he, he had a small uh, computer business. And he walked every day. By then, we had grandchildren, and he'd come down and take them for walks and show them all the things in nature because, again, this is our organic kid. Yeah, and he was and passionate about that. Yes, he was. He he was. And so he seemed to be doing very well until it was July 4th, eight years ago, and um we were preparing for our big July 4th celebration, and um, a, a guy I didn't know knocks on our back door, and he said, uh, there's a man who ran in front of my truck, and he wants me to hit him with the truck. And my husband oh, and I knew him 
yes, we knew we knew what it was um, because you don't do this when you're normal. Right. It was another break, and we had two of our grandchildren with us, and our daughter was home with the third getting ready to head to the store. So I looked at my husband, and the decision was made for me to go and uh, up to the house, and he stayed with the grandchildren and called 911. And I went up the road to Hunter's and called and called and called for him, and I went into the house, and it was a mess. Uh, you know, there was all over. There was broken glass. Oh, there were cabinets okay. pulled open. And I went outside and caught sight of him in my peripheral vision, loping across the fields. And he was in shorts and socks on his feet. And he stopped in front of me. His eyes were glazed over and, you know, confirmed our, our, our worst belief that, yes, he was having another psychotic break. And, right. You know, in your mind, you think you're going to be able to help them, but you can't get through. So I'm saying, Hunter, let's get in the car. Let's go see your dad. Let's, you know, let's see anything. Yes. And the next thing I know, he he picked himself up and he curled himself onto the windshield of the car. Oh, no. And he just bounced off like that Indian rubber ball that you hear about, just boom. And his head was. Obviously, I mean, it swelled immediately, and there's blood coming down, and yet he's still there picking up rocks, one rock and then another rock. And I I was just praying for God to help me mm-hmm. and still saying, Hunter, let's get in the car. And I could hear a truck, a large truck, coming around the, the bend of the road, and somewhere in the recesses of his mind, Hunter also heard it. And the next thing I know, he's running and he threw himself in front of the truck as it mm-hmm. came around the corner. And it threw him several yards, and he twisted. And so he hit the back, his back on the truck and landed on his back. And I, did, I didn't know if he was dead or alive. Right. And the driver got out of the truck, and the first thing I said was, it's not your fault. I mean, this is nobody's fault. Mental illness doesn't put you at fault. Right. It's it's something in your brain that's gone wrong. And so I went to him, and he was foaming from the ears and from Mm. the nose, and he was bleeding, and his skull was, he had sliced the back of his head open. So I put my hand underneath his head to try and hold him up and put my feet underneath that to cushion him because he was alive, and he was trying to bang his head against the ground. He oh was still goodness. trying to harm himself, and he was saying, it's a million years worth of pain, Mama. I, I can't stand it. Um, eventually, my daughter came up the road, and she didn't even know anything had happened, and so both of us were leaning over him, saying, Daddy loves you, Mama loves you, Michael loves you, right. loves you know, Bridget. So uh, he was eventually flown to UVA via helicopter. It was a very long night. Mm-hmm. He ended up being what you call a T10 complete, which means he's paralyzed from the waist down. He had a chip in, um, I think it was a C2 in his neck, his right hand. He had uh, damage, and of course he had the head trauma. Uh, We were able to see him briefly about 7 in the morning, and just enough, he knew us, we knew him, and it was going to be all right. And that began a summer of um, a lot of nights at EVA, I ended up being up there every night because, you know, we have a nursing shortage, and we had one right. eight years ago. Yeah, and, and, and now even so, more so. 
Yes, it is. It's worse since COVID. So we eventually got him back to our house, and we had expanded to make room for him and, and make a bathroom for him and everything. And, again, he progressed. And, and, you know, this is a whole new way of living when you're a young man and you're paralyzed. Sure. Sure. And, um, but he did for himself. He liked to cook for himself. He did his laundry, everything he did. And eventually, you know, he's chomping at the bit again. I can't stay here. I'm an adult. I can't be with you all. So eventually he actually had a van by then. My um, sister had given him an old one, and he learned to drive with, you know, the sure. thing that you do. And he, he went cross-country. After, was after he was a, a, a paraplegic, he went cross-country. He went cross-country. He said, I might only make it to Lynchburg. I don't know. But he mapped it out. He he had a tire iron. That was his protection. Oh, my word. And so he would tell us, and he would um, text us when he could, and we had a map of where he would be. He made it all the way out to Oregon. Okay. He left. Which his brother, and that's where his brother is? His brother was there, mm-hmm. and he did see him, but he wanted to do this on his own. This was, you know, his shot at independence. Okay. Well, you know, one month turned into two months, turned into nine months, and it's December, and he's basically living a homeless life 3,000 miles away, and it, it just couldn't go on. So, again, his brother stepped in and said, you've got to go home. You can't live like this. You are homeless. Look at your living conditions. This is not safe. And he eventually convinced him to come back home. So we had our children home for the first time in years at Christmas. And But he he still didn't want to live with us. He wanted to live in this van. Okay. So eventually we, we figured out living conditions, like a, a tiny home for him at my daughter's. Because Cause, cause that was okay. Yes, you can live you can live at your sister's, but not at your mom and dad's, even though, you know, it's, like I said, down the hill and up the hill. But it worked out, and it did well. And he seemed to be doing well until he wasn't. Right. And, and I guess then, the story here, um, Marcy, that people need to understand is if this happens to you, there's no magic fix No, for it. There, there is no magic fix. Um, it's not going to get better on its own. No, you take medicine and that helps, but it, it makes you, it doesn't, the meds don't always make you feel right, Hunter is what you, he's not compliant with his meds. Mm. He, he doesn't like them. He doesn't like the way they feel. Right. Um, he, so he prefers not to take them mm-hmm. until he has to take them. Um, he has, he's had two more psychotic breaks. One was induced because he had sepsis, because he had a severe UTI. And, oh. he, you know, when you're paralyzed, you can't tell if you have a UTI. Right. Right. That, that sent him into sepsis, which sent him into a psychotic break. Um, and this was in the middle of COVID. And, you know, what? you can't be in the hospital when you're in the middle of COVID. So here is a, a guy who's mentally ill in the middle of a psychotic break, all alone, paralyzed in a hospital, and all the COVID's going on around you. And that was a terrible time. So he right. spent time um, at Lynchburg General, then he was over at uh, Virginia Baptist, and eventually he got to come home again, and he, again, was, he got better, he was okay for a while, and then he started talking again, I've got to get out of here, I can't stay here, I can't be here, and we're going, no, you know, you need to stay here. You can see the paranoia slipping in, um, 
you can see the mania slipping in where everything is very fast-talking. The eyes get a look about him. He's talking about things that, in our rational minds, we understand this isn't going to work. But in that irrational state, it makes perfect sense to them. Um, One morning, several days before Christmas, we got up and... Uh, Bridget went to check on him, and uh, he wasn't there. He was gone. Mm. He had not taken his shoes. He had he had he'd taken next to nothing. No blankets. Um, Just he decided he was going to go, and he goes. He did. Yeah. And he texted that evening. This is about the twentieth of December, two years ago, and he was down at the Florida Georgia line. Wow. Right. And so he had made it that far. I contacted our sheriff's department because they can put out an alert for a well person check, especially given the mental illness. Sure. That's documented. Yeah. Right. Um, And we got all that through. The offices here in Appomattox were wonderful. And I was able to get that put through. But before they could even put it in place, um, we got a call from the Orlando hospital, and he had been hospitalized. He'd been picked up as a uh, John Doe, okay. and somebody had seen him in the middle of a road. He was banging his head against the road, right. Right. and um, again, he ended up in the hospital. He ended up in a mental facility down there. So let me ask you this, Marcy, and and we want to encourage everybody to to check out uh, Marcy's book. You can find it on on Amazon or anywhere you can buy books. It's called Shattering, S-H-A-T-T-E-R-I-N-G. It's also on Audible uh, because I had the the pleasure of voicing that for you. Um, But what is the first step if you if there's someone out there who has someone in their family that that they believe is on the verge of, of having a, a psychotic break, where is the first place they should go for help? Uh, you need to get them to a doctor. Um, it's my understanding, and I don't have all the details, but I believe Lynchburg General has set up some kind of a special um, mental health clinic or service, and, and it's recent. Mm-hmm. And it's recent enough that, I, like I said, I have not even gotten all the information on it. But I believe that if you called, they would be able to put you in, in touch with who you need to see. They do have and, a psychiatric uh, consultation and liaison service. Okay. That's 24 so that, hours. Right. And that would be, I mean, if it, it's an emergency, you, you can't wait because right. you, you don't know how fast. They're going to go from seemingly normal to boom over the end. Sure. Uh, And it can be very frightening. And that's the thing to understand. You need to stay calm because your panic isn't going to help the person. No, that energy just gets conveyed on. uh, Right. Yeah. So you you need to understand that their mind is broken and you need to keep your mind about you. Say, I tell everybody to pray. I am a praying person, and prayer is what gets us through everything. So call. Call for help. If you have a doctor who is aware of the situation, call a doctor. Um, Hunter actually has, likes a lady um, who is a PA down in Farmville, mm-hmm. and he has said, if I get desperate and you can't do anything else, call her. I will see her. 
so we've held him to that, and we have been in contact with her when we felt that we needed to. Uh, so that person with the mental illness needs to have somebody they feel comfortable with, that they'll go with. Because what we found is there are times he says, yes, I have a mental illness, and then there are times he's going, oh, it's not me, it's you all. You right, know? that's right. He'll, yeah. he'll say, you think I'm the crazy one, but y'all are the crazy one. And, <laughs> and sometimes he's so brilliant, you're like, well, maybe he's right. I don't know. Right, <laughs> right. right. and look at the world around us. Oh, and, I know, girl. <laughs> uh, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes you can't discount what they're saying. Sure. Because... It's been proven true. And there's some brilliance in there, for sure. Yes. Yes, there is. So uh, you need to get help, and you need to get help for you, too. And and that's the thing is, I know people have said there's not as much of a stigma today, but there's definitely a stigma. Oh, there absolutely is. Yes. And people don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. They, once they... Once I talk, because I do talk, I go to Central College of Nursing, and I've gone to Liberty University, and I've gone to churches, and I share our story because I think it's important that you know that even, quote-unquote, normal-looking families have things that happen in them. And and you're not illness, alone. I mean, that's, no. that's the thing. You didn't do well, anything wrong. You didn't, you know... Right. Take a it, it, Tylenol it that when you carry that baby that may, because I see people blaming themselves. I've seen that before, especially yeah, with no. parents. Right. What did I do wrong? Why didn't I see it sooner? That kind of thing. Right. And, and we do. the. Uh, it's uh, why didn't I see it sooner? I think it eats that eats at you. And yet it's not in the parenting manual. This is not sure. in it. You know, they don't say, hey, guess what? One in four Americans now have a mental illness, and you need to prepare yourself because, number one, none of us ever want this. And my daughter and I have talked over and over. We would never, ever wish a severe mental illness like this on even our worst enemy. It's just, it is so difficult for the person. It is challenging for the family, and you have to be living your life. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can't just hide it. So... We share because we want to help people who haven't experienced this to know that it's okay, that we're doing all we can do, and we also want people who are living this to know that there is hope, that there, there is a way. And I still get letters from usually mamas or sisters that, Mm -hmm. you know, let me tell you what's going on and, and, and they're glad to see that at least somebody will step forward and say, this is what it's like. And, yes, there are a lot of days that are just perfectly normal, and then there are those days that are not. Right. Well, we thank you so much for sharing your story here with us on The Morning Jam. And uh, we just wish you and and your family and Hunter, just everybody, uh, all the best. And uh, just stay strong as you continue this journey with them. Thank you, and thank you so much for your willingness to help us share this story. I, I truly appreciate it. Oh, you are most welcome, and we're we're glad that you're doing the work that you're doing. So uh, thanks again for joining us. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.